Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message regarding Jesus' claim to be one with God. So go ahead and open up your Bible or your Bible app to John 10, 22-42 so that you can follow along with the message. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. Our prayer this week is that this message would be a blessing to you. How would our lives change if we lived with a greater awareness of God? More sensitive, thank you, to His presence. We continue our series, The Life of Jesus. Keep reading through the summer. Maybe your schedule is opening up a little bit. I urge you, if you can, to try to read the whole of the book. Each week we're looking at selected parts, and then on Sunday I'm drilling down into those parts. So it's good to see each individual part, but it's also good to see the whole breadth of the New Testament. So I urge you, while you're reading the new John Grisham book or something like that, take some time to read your life of Jesus as well. Today's message is entitled, Belief. And this comes toward the end of Jesus' public ministry. He's already been preaching and teaching for more than three years. He's traveled throughout the land, but primarily around Jerusalem and then in the north in the region of Galilee. He's been calling people to repentance, to turn back to God. He's been confronting the hypocritical religious leaders of the land. And he's been performing many, many different signs and wonders which confirmed that he was the Messiah. But tragically, in the nation of Israel, the religious leaders, the ones who should have been the most interested in this man, the priests and the rabbis, the scribes and the Pharisees, rejected the Messiah. Just as the Old Testament prophecies said would happen. Now we're in reading 128. And we'll begin there, which is taken from John chapter 10. Then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. You know what the festival of dedication is? Well, there's an article about it on the next page. But what's it called today? Hanukkah, or the Feast of Lights. And it is not one of the festivals that is laid out in the Old Testament under the law like the Feast of Tabernacles or Passover, it doesn't appear there. So we think, well, then where did this come from, and why do Jews even today celebrate it? Well, we need to to learn some history in order to understand what's going on in the Scripture. gives us context. Now, this is just a reference. It's the only place it appears in in the Bible, in our Bible, and It was established between the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. You know what that's called? Intertestamental period. That sounds like a medical specialty, doesn't it? (laughs) And (laughs) I like that. We we believe in low forms of humor in this room. (laughs) Nothing elevated for us. And it celebrated... On the 25th day of the Jewish month, 
of Kislev. Now, Jews obviously have different names for their months than we do, and they don't even align. Actually, the month of Kislev falls between late November and December in our calendar. Well, why the difference? Well, Jews follow a lunar calendar. We follow a solar calendar. Now, the feast originated from an Israelite victory over a Syrian king. Remember I told you, throughout the history of Israel, they'd been dominated by numerous other countries. They'd been dominated by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Assyrians, later the Romans. So this was a Syrian king whose name was Antiochus Epiphanes. There's a good name for your next child. And he ruled from 175 to 164 B.C. Antiochus captured Jerusalem and he sought to eliminate the Jewish faith and also their customs. He wanted to replace the Jewish faith and customs with Greek culture and the worship of Greek gods. It's interesting, isn't it, how many times the Jews have been attacked throughout history. You could see there were hostile countries attacking, but I think the hand of Satan was behind it. Because if, if the Jewish faith was destroyed, the Christian faith would go with it. It would have never appeared. So this particular king, Antiochus, desecrated the temple in 170 B.C. And he did so by sacrificing a pig on the altar in the temple. Now remember, pigs were detestable. They were unclean. So this is called, anybody know what this is called in Daniel? Yes, somebody's got it. The abomination of desolation. Because you can see what, a, what an extremely offensive thing. And this is an unclean animal. So it rendered the temple, the presence of God, unclean. He also set up a pagan altar in the place of the Jews' um, golden altar. And he erected a statue of Zeus. There in the most holy place. But it's interesting. For the, for the face of Zeus. He put his own face. Never underestimate the power of ego. And self-centeredness. And you can read about this in Daniel 8. Also in Daniel 11. But the Jews had enough. Although some Jews liked the idea of becoming like the Greeks. And being elitist. And being elevated. And being cultured in the Greek ways. But many of the Jews resented it and they revolted, led by some priests, and they recaptured Jerusalem. They liberated and they rededicated the temple on that date, 25, Kislev. And they established the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah to celebrate that victory and that dedication. You say, well, I thought it was about some oil in the menorah. Well, there was a miracle that they're attesting to. That in the temple, they only found one jar of pure oil. So it should have been able to burn the menorah for one day. And it lasted for eight days. And that's why Hanukkah is celebrated for eight days. So back to our passage, John 10. Those of you now who didn't really want to learn. I didn't come to learn anything this morning. So, so. I'm, I'm through teaching, so you can come back. We'll look at the scripture. Back to our passage, John 10, verse 22. 
So Jesus was, well, 23, Jesus was walking in the temple complex in Solomon's colonnade or porch, some translations say. And it was, it was a long covered walkway held up by pillars. It was on the east side of the temple and it overlooked the Kidron Valley. It was a place where Jesus often spoke because people would be passing through there going to and from the temple. So he would teach and he would preach right there. Then the Jews surrounded him. Now the Jews, particularly by John, when John's writing, it means people who are opposed to Jesus and particularly religious leaders who were opposed to him. And so they surrounded him. And again, the Greek word there is not just a mild gathering to ask him some questions. There's, there's um, an aggressiveness about the way they're surrounding him. And they're asking, actually they're demanding, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Hadn't they already heard? They had heard his teaching. They had seen or been told about all of his miracles. They knew that he considered himself the son of God. So their motive was dishonest. It was suspect. They weren't ignorant of his claims to be the Messiah. And besides that, there were many people throughout the land whispering, perhaps this man Jesus is the Messiah. And even some of the religious leaders, some of the Pharisees converted. But Jesus had not declared himself to be the rightful ruler of the throne of Israel. He did not attempt and he had not attempted to gather an army or a force of militants to lead an uprising against the hated Romans. In fact, to their frustration, he had refused to lay out any political plans or any military purposes. Rather, he confronted the sins of the people and he called them all to repent and turn to God. They expected him to be denouncing Rome, to criticize the Roman, the king who was really just um, a Roman vassal put in place. But instead of criticizing Rome, instead he was criticizing the Jewish religious leaders, calling them hypocrites. So they wanted him silenced. You know anybody like that? When someone speaks something they don't like, they disagree with, what do they want to do? They want to silence the opposition. This request of Jesus to identify himself as Messiah, see, wasn't sincere. It was an attempt to get him to say something that they then could have him arrested and tried and potentially put to death for. They wanted to discredit him. They wanted to dispose of him permanently because he threatened their power and their position as the spokesman of God. See, these religious leaders, they should have been the most excited, right? They've been teaching about the becoming Messiah. They should have been the ones very eager to discover whether this man was from God. So it's, it's really a bit puzzling why they wanted to arrest him and kill him and silence him. But see, they were less concerned with the Messiah from God arriving than they were threatened that they might lose 
their popularity and their power. So we continue at verse 25. I did tell you, he said, and you don't believe, he answered them. Now, the word belief that I'm focused on today is a Greek word, pistuo. And what it means is to have faith in a thing or person. It also means to entrust, especially to entrust your spiritual being to Christ. So see, the word belief and the word trust come from the same Greek word. The word faith comes from that as well. So Jesus continued, The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. Jesus had spent three years revealing his identity through his words and his miraculous works. And these Jews refused to believe. Now what about you? Unless this is your, this is your first time ever in church, You've heard a lot about Jesus. You've heard his claims. You've heard his commands. You've heard his expectations. Do you believe? Do you believe that he's the Messiah? Do you believe that he's the Son of God? Do you believe that he's the Savior? Do you know, do you trust Do you have faith that he is your Savior? From this passage, we'll focus on three elements of belief. The first element of belief is to receive Jesus as shepherd. He stated the reason that the Jews didn't believe. And he said in verse 26, But you don't believe because you're not my sheep. That's an odd way to phrase it, isn't it? We would think he would say, state this in the reverse. You're not my sheep because you don't believe. But he says you don't believe because you're not my sheep. Their lack of understanding wasn't because of lack of information. It was because they lacked faith in Jesus as shepherd. And shepherd's another word for Messiah. You find it throughout the Bible probably most well-known as Psalm 23. So they expressed interest in confirming whether he was the Messiah, but it was pretense. They were just acting interested. Remember I told you, hypocrite, the word hypocrite was a Greek word that really meant actor. And here they are again, acting like they're interested in Jesus or in the Messiah. In reality, They're only interested in maintaining their own positions, their own power. If a Messiah came, you see, they wanted a Messiah to come according to their terms, their expectations, their desires. What about you? Do you want to prescribe the Savior or do you want to receive the Savior as He is? They didn't believe. They lacked an interest in knowing who Jesus was and what he wanted. They were not his sheep. First evidence they didn't belong to God was they didn't hear or respond to his call to salvation. Like Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. You say, well, yeah, but he knows everything. No, this word know is actually related to... um, 
a Hebrew word that talked about Adam knew Eve. It's talking about an intimate connection, an intimate knowledge. So this is just not informational. This is relational. When Jesus says, I know them, he's talking about a relationship with his sheep. And because of this relationship, what do they do? They follow. They follow. Have you heard Jesus call? How many of you have ever heard Jesus call? Have you responded? Are you following? That's the evidence. Are you following? See, when we're enabled by the Holy Spirit to hear the call of God to faith. See, something supernatural happens because you know what? Few of us converted the first time we ever heard it, right? There's a, there's a hearing that's human that you get some information, but then there's a hearing that's spiritual. And the Spirit of God reveals the truth to you so that it becomes part of you. And rather than you retaining it, it retains you. Completely different. And when we have the call revealed to us by the Spirit, we will respond. And as a result, we will follow with our lives. These Jews didn't want to follow Jesus. They wouldn't obey him. They actually wanted him to follow them. They wanted him to act according to their rules and their regulations and their expectations. Remember, they were constantly rebuking him for performing miracles on the Sabbath, which is not disallowed in the Scripture. But you see... The Sabbath, about resting on the Sabbath, was talking about your normal work. It wasn't saying don't do anything, or particularly don't do anything helpful. But they had made up a series of rules and added them to God's laws. And they wanted Jesus to obey their rules. And they were denouncing him when he didn't. He continues in verse 28. I give them eternal life. And he's talking about his sheep. What does eternal life mean? You know, we think, well, it means last forever. It does mean that. But eternal life, if you have it, it has already begun if you're born again. So what it means is that your life is of a different nature. It's of a spiritual nature. Your identity is different. You're not just a human who has an expectation of going to heaven when you die. You are different now. Your being is different. Your nature is different. Your eternal life just continues beyond your death. It doesn't start at death. And they will never perish. Ever. Again, Jesus is certifying eternal security for all true Christians, true believers. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. 
Now, this word one is, is, a, is a noun, but it's, it's neutral. So it's saying that the Father and the Son are the same substance, not the same person. So they're unified in nature. They're unified in essence. They're unified in purpose. And it's the Father and the Son who hold us securely. Nothing can snatch you away. Once you're born again, once you've received eternal life, you cannot lose it. Because it's the Father and Son who are holding you. It's the Father's plan and it's the Son's fulfillment of the plan that secures your salvation. And so no one can snatch you away from God. Not false teachers, not a cult, not a demon, not Satan. Here's this one. Hold on to your seat on this one. Not even your sin. You cannot be lost once you're saved. Now we have to be certain of that. And salvation doesn't mean you prayed a prayer and you got baptized as a child. It means you've been born again. You've been regenerated. You've been changed. You cannot lose it. Now I know this. All of us have sins that we're ashamed of. Some of us in this room have have committed things that humiliated us and damaged our own lives. But if you have ever belonged to Christ, you belong to Him now. You cannot lose what He has gifted to you. So your security doesn't depend on your effort. The Scripture says He holds us by our right hands. We keep saying, I have to hold on to God. I have to do this and I have to do that. Now, I think that our behavior does align with his desire. But that's out of the relationship. It's not to earn a relationship, you see. When you're married to someone, you align yourself to their desires, don't you? Because of that relationship. Our security depends on the grace of God. And grace means unmerited benefit. It depends on the promise of God that can't be broken. It depends on the power of God that can't be thwarted by any force. Once you've been born again, you cannot be lost. I know some of you say, well, I grew up in a church that said you could lose your salvation, you know, by some list of sins. Not if you ever were saved. Because all your sins were paid for in Christ's sacrifice. You understand this? We like to say, well, he did something so terrible, he can't be Christian. Well, the, the problem is you can't look at someone and say, yes, this one belongs to God. And, and our behavior is evidence. But if you've ever been born again, if you've ever belonged to Christ, you cannot be lost. That sounds like a good word, doesn't it? Well, look at the Jews' response. They picked up rocks to stone him. 
And this is the fourth time they've tried to kill him. You see it here in John 10, but it's also in John 5. It's also in John 7. It's also in John 8. You say, but I thought the Jews couldn't perform capital punishment. Well, they couldn't. So what you see here is these these people are just so worked up and angry that they're going to take matters into their own hands, but they would be punished for it. So here's a question. Is Jesus your shepherd? Do you know what I mean by that? Is Jesus your shepherd? Do you follow him? Another element of belief is to recognize Jesus' divine identity. Verse 32. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father, but for which of these are you stoning me? He didn't deny that he was God. He didn't deny that he claimed to be. But he's asking these Jews to address the fact of his miracles. Because if these miracles were really from from God, then they were evidence he was the Messiah. So why did they want to stone him? So that put put them in a really uncomfortable position. Because they were going to punish Jesus for miracles that he'd performed, feeding the poor, healing the sick, casting out demons, even raising the dead. But they answer, we're not stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. It's just interesting, isn't it? Don't miss. They have, they've completely rejected the possibility that this man is the Messiah. They knew his family. His parents weren't affluent. His father was likely a mason or a carpenter. The word in Greek can mean either one, and there's not a lot of wood in, the, in Israel. They knew his brothers. They weren't highly educated. None of them were priests. None of them were rabbis. He's, he's from a, a town that was frowned on, Nazareth, and they can't see past the human. And they so resent what he's saying that they would not even entertain the idea that this man might be sent from God despite all the miracles because he did not fit their expectation. He wasn't what they wanted. They didn't want to relinquish their position of power or their prestige. So they wanted to kill him. Some of us are like that, aren't we? There's some things we want from Jesus. We want, you know, to access into heaven. But we don't want him meddling with what we've got on earth. Is that fair? There's some things in your life you know aren't right. But you don't want him messing with that. So you just say, well, he's not interested in that. No, no. It's a take it or leave it proposition. We take his personhood. Or we reject his personhood. And Jesus answered. Isn't it written in your law. Which means the scripture. I said you are God's. Meaning God said you are God's. That's from Psalm 82.5. And that passage is in Psalm 82.5. But 82.6. But what it. What he's doing is he's referring actually to the judges that were placed in authority over the people. And they were supposed to execute what God wanted through the people. 
But these judges were corrupt. These particular judges weren't obedient. But then Jesus continues using this argument. Do you say you're blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? See, he said, if, if, this, if these people to whom the Word of God came are called gods, meaning these unjust judges, then why are you saying I'm a blasphemer because I'm obeying God and they disobeyed God? You see, that is kind of a complicated argument, isn't it? He's saying in the Scripture, these men, these judges, were called gods by the Father. And they were corrupt. They mistreated the poor. They oppressed people. He says, so why are you accusing me of something wrong when I've been sent by God to carry out this mission and I'm obeying him? That's the point of the argument. How could he be dishonoring God when he was carrying out his assignment? If I am not doing my father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them, you don't, don't believe me then. You can reject me. You see me. You think I'm nobody. I'm from Nazareth. So just believe the works I've performed. And this way you'll know and understand that the father's in me and I in the father. He's saying, even if you don't believe me, believe what I've done. Because you know these miracles could only be performed by the power of God. So what's going on with these men, these spiritual leaders? They were either spiritually blind, so they couldn't recognize God's hand at work. Or more likely, they were so proud and stubborn that they refused to consider the supernatural significance of the signs Jesus performed. And here's their response. He frustrated them again. Then they were trying again to seize him. Here, they, apparently they dropped the stones, but they want to arrest him and hold him for trial, more than likely. Yet he eluded their grasp. Now I want you to look at that. He's got all these people, they're angry at him, they're shouting at him, they're arguing at him. He's standing right in the middle of them, surrounded, and they couldn't hold on to him. Strike you as odd? It happened numerous times in the scripture. He just passed through. And the reason was, his time hadn't come to be arrested. He would leave and return three to four months later and he would allow himself to be arrested in, during Passover. But the question for us is do we recognize Jesus as fully God? And if we do, does that mean that we obey him as Lord over our lives? Or are we like these Jews? We reject what we disagree with. A third element of belief is found in this passage is to rely on the Bible's testimony. So he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John first was baptizing and he remained there. Many came to him and said, John never did a sign, 
But everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. See, the people remembered what John said. Remember, when John first baptized and Jesus walks up, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, This man is from God. I'm not even worthy to untie the laces of his sandals. And now when they're hearing him, they believe. John didn't perform miracles. But John was authenticated as a prophet who spoke for God. Who was guided by the Holy Spirit. Remember, John later said, now are you the, are you the one? Even he was confused. But at that moment of baptism, he was speaking on behalf of the Spirit. And identified Jesus accurately. You see, John's words were a witness. They were a testimony to the identity and the mission of Jesus. We don't have John the Baptist today, but we have the Bible. And the Bible gives us evidence of Jesus' identity. The Bible reveals his mission. You know, to be saved, you really only need about one verse, don't you? John 3, 16 is one. Isn't that enough? So why don't we have a Bible composed of 66 books written in three languages on three continents by, by about 40 authors over 1,500 years? Because God has given us many, many reasons and many examples so we can believe. It tells the story of many people who have come to faith. These religious leaders thought that eternal life was, was derived from just studying the Scripture. But they studied the Scripture and they didn't see the Savior. And salvation isn't found even through obeying the Scripture. Salvation is found through coming to the Savior. John 5, 39 and 40. All of us are saved by the Word of God. If you're born again, it's because of the Word of God. All of us are born again by the good news of Jesus. Look at this passage. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that's sent by God. This is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. How beautiful are your feet? Stick them up here. I can tell you how beautiful. I can judge the beauty of your feet by whether you're carrying good news. How many of you are telling your story? That's your testimony. That's your witness. That's you just telling the good news that grasped you. So faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. Salvation occurs when the Word of God is illuminated by the Spirit of God. 
so that we're convicted of our sins, we see ourselves, so that we're convinced of the identity of Jesus. No longer do you have it, it has you. And you're converted, which means you move from a self-centered life to a God-centered life. So have you been born again in that way? Have you been born again by the Holy Spirit through God's Word? It's the only way salvation ever happens. You must be born again. You say, I don't know if I've ever heard it like that before. There'll be counselors here. They can come now to talk to you, to pray with you. You can, you can pray with them today. You can start a relationship with them and have some further dialogue. They'll also be here if you're, if you're ailing physically, emotionally, and you want someone to anoint you with oil and pray for you. We do see healing, but we don't see it every time. But God still heals. So after I pray, they'll be here. And let me invite you too. We pray every Sunday morning at 8.15. And remember I said, I know y'all don't want to come every week from now on. From, the here, from here to eternity plan. So I said, how about coming just the first Sunday of the month? Well, why is that so important? Because just like I've said this morning, salvation is by the Spirit. You provide the message. You tell the good news. But you can't save. Salvation is of the Lord. So we pray and we ask God to work in our midst, to illuminate our minds, to convince us of His Word. That's what we do every Sunday morning. Father, we thank You for this Word. We ask You, Lord, to let it not just be dry information, but that it would be illumination that you reveal to us by your Spirit that grips us instead of us just grasping it intellectually. May your Word, Lord, dwell in our hearts richly by faith. And may it transform our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or by checking out our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening, and have a blessed week.